All right, welcome to part two of our look at nuclear energy. Um, in the first part, we pretty much just waxed uh, poetically about how great um, nuclear power could be if we only just, you know, gave it, you know, our ear for a second. But with everything, with every pro, there is, there are cons, some of them legitimate, some of them not. Um, and these cons, whether or not they are uh, real, are what is keeping um, this from going forward, or at least keeping it moving slowly. So um, you mentioned uh, a man named Lyons. Uh, what's going on with that? Dr. Lyons. Uh, he seems Lyons. to be the... Well, to me, and again, just from my rudimentary research here, he seems to be the main op opposition to uh, advanced nuclear reaction. He's the one that they take, the one person, of course, that they take to uh, Senate hearings to, to get um, questioned by lawmakers and politicians about the efficacy and viability of sustained nuclear power moving forward into the future. And he seems to me, and I don't know this for sure, but it's conjecture, but he seems to me to want to encourage the status quo for no other reason than it's easier. Um, my argument to that would simply be, you know, more cost, as long as there's a net positive output of cost at the end of the day, like that's what we as human beings should be working towards is sustainable positive output. But he's responding to um, questions and queries as if there was a net loss and it's just not accurate. Despite him being a doctor, I do think I'm smarter than him. But here's why. <laughs> In the NASA um, paper, research papers, like a 133-page document, he pulled out one sentence from seven pages or so of, uh, of critical analysis of this one design that they tried to implement just for research sake. And, uh, he pulled out this one line and I'll just read it and quote it verbatim because I don't have, I don't actually have access to the entire report. It's paywalled behind, uh, as we talked about in prior episodes about funding and the yeah, ridiculousness goes, of education in our society. It goes into multiple episodes. <laughs> yeah. All of our episodes, basically. But you can look up the title of it. It's, uh, Introduction of Thorium in the Nuclear Fuel Cycle is the whole name. And that'll be part of the description too. If you do have access to journals, you can look it up and please correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. But of the 11 pages where they document the viability of thorium in this one test, in this one report, uh, he broke it down to a single sentence that amounted to this. It says, in the report, this this is what the report says. This one gigawatt design was a thermal reactor with graphite moderated core that required a heavy chemical fuel salt treatment with removal time of approximately 30 days for soluble fission products, a drawback that could potentially be eliminated by using a fast spectrum reactor instead. Now, knowing what we know from our first example or our first part of this uh, show, we know that the thermal reactor is that high pressurized reactor that we discussed that we shouldn't be using anyway, because that's the one that explodes. The moderated core is using graphite, which is perfectly fine. We can use, we can make graphite out of the carbon we capture from the air and from the water and stuff even. So that's part of our, our green initiative that works uh, in our favor. 
The time of approximately 30 days is that decay time that we discussed where thorium has to break down and become uranium before it's useful as a fissile material. That's the fertile of the thorium as it breeds itself into a fissile material. Um, down into soluble fission product, a drawback that could potentially be eliminated by using fast spectrum reactor instead. And that's what we talked about. The fast spectrum reactor, the spectrum they're talking about is the heat. So using a high heat reactor that's over uh, five or 600 degrees Celsius instead of the water that's 350 to 400 degrees Celsius. Um, so using that statement, he then went to, uh, it was either House of Representatives or Congress, I can't remember, but it was a special committee on, on nuclear energy and basically reported that because they said they're unsure and it, and it didn't work in this specific reactor that they used to write the report on, that it was a bad idea. Just no reason, no rhyme, nothing to it. And that to me is completely disingen disingenuous from, especially from a doctor, but especially as the primary source for these politicians and lawmakers to make decisions. He's the worst possible person to give that type of an answer in that type of a setting. And I just want to point out how terrible that is of, of any doctor, never mind one that's like convincing people to do the wrong thing for humankind. <laughs> so is this um, Peter B. Lyons? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, he's the guy that was in the hearings though. So if you see okay. him. So I think this guy actually died um, two weeks ago. Really? Yeah, it says here the That's assistant secretary to the energy of nuclear, uh, of energy for nuclear energy, uh, and he was succeeded by Rita Brandwell, and he died uh, April 29th. That might be so, a different Lions then. Okay. Because the Lions I'm thinking of was bald and skinny, but that, again, that was like from the 60s or 70s, so maybe it is the same guy. Oh, maybe. So either way. Um, these, the, the, the nature of these hearings has had an impact on the way we are, uh, so the decisions made at these hearings had an impact on how the, we as countries are approaching nuclear uh, energy. So he's testified in front of, um, Congress, um, and did so, um, either knowingly or not disingenuously for whatever reason. Um, and now we don't have access to these technologies uh, or not access, but we don't have. We haven't moving. been developing it for years. Yeah. We could have been. So essentially to me, what it sounds like is that he was just essentially marking time, just standing there in the spot. Um, for, yeah. okay. Maybe Do now I, that he's gone, we'll start uh, looking more heavily into it. Yeah. I don't but know much. Part about of the problem this. with the government, uh, they they swept this whole report under the rug. Like the only reason we got access to the NASA reports to know that the ERB worked back in 1951 when we first tried it was mm -hmm. because Kirk Sorensen released it, having right. been a former employee of NASA. Like without that, we wouldn't even have known even at this time when he did this hearing that I quoted in 2014 or 2015, it was published. I think the hearing was in 2014. But right. we wouldn't even have had, had access to that if in like 2004 or whatever it was, Kirk Sorensen didn't give it out. So just a quick shout out to that guy. He's been pushing thorium like crazy. And we'll put links in the description for him too. Mm -hmm. So this is the, this seems like it's a political um, problem 
for these types of reactors. And that's generally what's been happening since, you know, the beginning. You get people lobbying their government for their own interest if they're, you know, in the natural gas or other energy sectors, you know, they're in competition. Um, <clears throat> that or when they are in that or they're just afraid of it. And, you know, both both of these parties will use, you know, mothers against nuclear energy. I mean, yeah, like I exactly. made it up, but there's probably something like that. Um, and so, like, there's always there's always some mothers against some stupid not a problem thing in in our society. But um, they, right, it is in our political system. Like, it's the same way the tobacco's lo lobbied against putting warnings and labels on on addictive products, saying they weren't addictive. It's the same as the opioids and big pharma. It's the same as the auto workers when they tried to force seatbelts and like airbags on people. There's always mm. going to be resistance, but some of it is like criminally ignorant. Like mm. this guy didn't bring a scientific discussion to the floor and he's a scientist. That was the yeah. point. <laughs> wow. And it's just the, your job to go in is to go in as an expert and to explain yeah. these things. And he, well, that's part of like, to me, that seems like a lot of people, oh, we don't want to, we want to keep it simple for them. But no, no, no. People are smarter than you think and you should expect them to be smart. And if they're not, they're going to put their own foot in their mouth and it's not your job to take it out. Um, and they're open to correction. That's part of the process is to have right. a discussion because you should be open to correction. Well, you, you don't have to have the discussion. Enemies of a politician, you know, it's like, oh, nuts to them. <laughs> like the people. <laughs> so but my thought is, is that like you get a lot of this, there's a lot of movement and fear and money both are uh massive drivers of um you know illogical political behavior um and it, it, the evidence so far is pointing to the fact that you know this is if we do this well and we we we, we nurture this responsibly then we will have something that will benefit you know not just you know america or canada it will benefit the entire planet and you know that sounds terrible um but we could achieve our climate goals without reducing our emissions like we could right. still drive cars and fly planes that should be reason enough to put the extra expense into high-tech jobs and right but then you say something well, sense it'll kill somebody well everything's gonna kill something Except like this this doesn't kill <laughs> like well even if one person gets you know you know 30 seconds of their life taken away from them it's like oh come on like that yeah. kind of fear-mongering is it's it's you know cowardly um especially because you know you have to fight for things even if fighting is just sitting there and studying for five years um but you you we do need to take a few risks and we can mitigate those risks with safety procedures, but we still do need to take them if we want to move forward. It's not just like, if only we could do this and, you know, if only everyone smoked weed and, you know, uh, had their own gardens in their backyard, it's like, oh, that's a good way to starve everyone on the planet. <laughs> Remember when Mao tried that? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's a lot more complicated and we can't just let ourselves be ruled by fear. But that being said, are there any actual cons to these technologies there are and one is nuclear prolifer proliferation so if you're worried about um like isis or terror groups getting nuclear weapons the way they'll do it is by using centrifuges the enrichment process of that like five to ten to twenty percent uranium that you need to sustain the reaction because with that fuel you can use more of it and the slower neutrons will uh persist 
okay, in that so reaction. Whereas using so the, should... the old types of fuel, you only use one percent to ninety nine percent, and then but then you're wasting most of your fuel. So, so why don't we just gonna... ban centrifuges then? <laughs> well, that's what they're trying to do with Iran. But right. see how that works. When yeah. You tell people they can't sell their oil and they can't produce nuclear power. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to start wars. Mm. And you got Yemen, humanitarian crisis. Like, <laughs> yeah. So the sanctions don't work, and we know this, and that's probably a separate topic entirely. Yeah. But to put yeah. it into context of like human history, we've had slaves right up until industrialization. Once we found oil was an energy source that made machines that could do work for human beings, we could finally subsist comfortably and peacefully without slavery. Huge boon. No, slavery now, didn't make any nuclear sense. Nuclear power that didn't kill us all like oil does and mm -hmm. still use oil, just not make it a, a, a habit of only using oil. If we still used oil, but only used it where we needed to, not for energy production, but for like plastics and medical gear and, you know, for mineral extraction processes or for um, if you've got a power outage and the power plant's down, you can just quickly boot up a, a, an oil power plant and it's yeah. way more efficient than coal. It's cleaner to burn oil than coal. It's way more energy dense. Yeah. And so the... there's still a place for it, like you said, but to rely on it, if we relied on nuclear fuel instead as our first primary source of energy, instead mm. of hydro, instead of coal, instead of oil, instead of nat gas and all that, we would have um, the transport chains, first of all, like we said, because you could be using that energy for carbon capture. If you're going to waste it because you're producing more energy than you need, just throw it into cleaning the air. Yeah, it's or, not going to make you money cleaning the air, but it will make your kids breathe like down the road. Like or have a massive laser show and throw a party. Yeah, and like <laughs> irrigating lands in desert, not just deserts, but like anywhere where there's a drought. When there's a drought, you lose tons of crops. Just mm -hmm. stop having droughts. We could sustain twice the population on Earth if we didn't have to worry about weather. Then there's vertical farming, like you said, with the LEDs and planters and the biggest expense of uh, energy, like one of the hugest expenses of oil is in creating cement for building buildings. Yeah. So if you could use electric energy for a lot of the mining process and for the filtration and reverse osmosis processes and for all the delivery of construction materials, heating up and melting iron and all that, you used nuclear power facilities and heat exchangers from a nuclear power, power plant next door to heat up those furnaces. You then have like steel and concrete, and those are the hugest drivers of climate change. So you can reduce our entire global carbon footprint while still building highways and skyscrapers and having farms that don't die off in a year because they're risk. And then you won't have as many wars because people aren't desperate and starving and hungry and beholden right. to slavery. And you can still keep your you can still keep your classic car because oil's not going away. Like yeah, and like in fact and you we can keep, keep your electric sources of oil community. so there's no like and well we keep finding new sources of oil which is interesting we have now technology to do some pretty interesting oil collection uh things right now but if we have less use for it we can just rely on the if there's less demand for oil and then we can rely on the more efficient and ecologically uh sound uh oil collection procedures instead of just you know doing what they're doing in the oil sands um mm -hmm. so um so this... weaponization is a risk but with what i'm trying to what i was trying to get at with that whole roundabout 
discussion right. though is that weaponization is only a risk because there are desperate people right now. Right. They so had ample food and ample power, and they were allowed to produce with um, uh, centrifuges. And if we mm -hmm. didn't have sanctions on their nuclear power preventing them from clean energy, right? Right. Like if we didn't send our recycling all over to China to get burned because our country doesn't allow burning recycling, but their country does, it's still our planet. How like we didn't recycling? fix any problems by doing that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because so like my thought is, is that you have to give this to everybody. And like, yes. right now you have a, the race to fusion and whoever does crack fusion first is going to have a massive advantage for about five, 10 years. And hopefully they don't squander it and do something like, you know, you see like what Norway did with their oil reserves, but, um, they didn't that, squander it. They've got a sovereign wealth fund that no, like, no, no. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Earth. They did the, they did the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, there's like, and so what you, did pretty good too. I have to admit. Yeah, but I still don't like them. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying like Saudi Arabians are bad. I'm just like, get rid of the monarchy and yes. let your women be free. <laughs> yeah. Let's, so, let's go back to the, uh, yeah. What do you call that? Er, the Arab Spring. Yeah. So, like, yeah, Megan's got some thoughts on, you know, how. That'd be a good episode, too, actually. Yeah. So, but moving on, I think what. <laughs> Yeah, I got to keep this going um, before we get off track. But, um, but we're what, talking about the risks. Right. So I think what we, needs to happen is if whoever develops this, it needs to be globally available mm. or at least integrated in. So, you know, a small country in Africa is next to, say, you know, a country that has one of these reactors. They have to at least be integrated. You know, not every country needs to build one. Like the Vatican doesn't need its own nuclear reactor. Um, but it would, it would, every country needs to at least have access to the power from this. But in every major country, I'm sorry, Vatican people, but, uh, <laughs> and those of you from San Marino, but, um, these, Made any country that can ha build its own infrastructure or can buy its infrastructure from other countries that can build it for them um, needs to have access to this technology, which in turn will create the need for people in that country to understand it, which will create the need for, you know, post-secondary institutions to get their act together in those countries and create, you know, uh, nuclear physicists to run these places and to take care of them responsibly. And if everyone has it, then we can standardize this more and share knowledge between all these nations who otherwise would have reason to hate each other. And when we have power, then there's no reason to go to war other than like stupid land titles and stuff, which is already the like nonsense to most people living nowadays. So I think the big thing to me there hoard it, that'll be a problem. That's a con if we hoard it as a country and as a society. That would be a con, but if we don't, I think that would be better. But with the information out there, rather than donating people money and food every year, yes. we could donate a power reactor that sustains them for generations, mm -hmm. right? And once it's built there, and even if we donated some of our professors and PhDs to go teach other countries how to manage and run their own facilities, that type of donation is worth so much more than simply throwing food at them because we produce a surplus. Yeah. Give them the means to produce and desalinate their water and irrigate their crops and have their own food supply. Well, those like, food why supplies... send them all this free food every year? Well, it's just costing no... everyone. It seems like 
and it it doesn't seem like much like i i i like what doctors without borders is doing but mm-hmm. i like i don't think sending food and like supplies constantly and essentially subsidizing mm-hmm. banana republics who aren't going to give the food to their people um is working so what's well, keeping people alive it's a band yeah, yeah it's, it's a band fixing the problem but one of the things that was happening during the industrial revolution and i think um this was detailed quite thoroughly in uh yeah richard j evans book pursuit of power uh where that's a great source check (laughs) (laughs) Uh, great but um what he essentially laid out was that the british figured out uh railways and steam power pretty much better than anyone else in the world and what they did was um they tried to hoard it but it didn't work because uh british guys were going around the entire planet saying i've got expertise how much you want to pay me for it and eventually the entire world got the technology uh, your england couldn't contain that knowledge because their free market essentially made it so that everyone in europe could have a train and whoever didn't get on board the the steam engine train eh, was left behind and this i i don't know if it will when you have something like this that is so um and i think this is similar to what will happen with um what do you call that uh fusion power but and i my i'm split on this so do we give it away with strings stop killing your people and we'll give you fusion technology or do we just give it away and hope it'll go away so that kind of comes with that like economic hitman thing where it's just like, oh, we built you this beautiful thing. It'd be a shame if you were to, you know, step down as the leader of your country and, you know, institute a democratic republic and give your people freedom. (laughs) I have to admit, I have very strong feelings about manipulating other people's populations because we're bad at it. We are so bad at it. History has proven that every time we've installed a puppet government, it never worked. Not once. And we've done it dozens of times. The easiest thing to do is just give it to people. Mm-hmm. And eventually, the people will rise up against their own oppressors. Yeah, let them, the let, first let thing them they kill their own dictator. <laughs> once they That's, can provide themselves food, they can sort out their democracy and shit afterwards. But as mm-hmm. long as people are hungry and starving and the only people offering them money are the ones with nuclear weapons and like the jihadists or whatever, like... That's your problem. Like you're giving AKs and stuff from the wars you create and you're selling them to Saudi and Saudi's giving them to, you know, or losing them or whatever. Yeah. Or the Russians are losing their weapons to the, the Houthi rebels and causing civil wars that just, they, it's a disaster. It destroys all the property. It destroys all the land. It completely corrupts the government. The people are incapable of sustaining themselves. If mm-hmm. you just plop a nuclear reactor down, and um, and, a, and a university down next door. And if every country, that was their donation, was teaching people how to run their own shit. Done. Right. It might not happen it... immediately, but within a few decades, it would just be done. It wouldn't even be an issue politically. What you could do is to keep, you know, say, you know, um, the dictator of, you know, whatever land, uh, you make sure that it's... Um, has over international oversight so if you know they try and steal oh, stuff of course yeah. yeah so that they can't like be like aha now i can blow some stuff th- no because one of the things and i kind of want to take this in a weird direction is that this will make life easier for us 
And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it is kind of an odd thing that we're seeing nowadays as life keeps getting easier and easier in the West. And uh, as countries develop, life gets easier. But that means we can't, we have to, this is not something that we can just set up and leave away. We have to be constantly aware of what we're doing. We can't just, you know, go off and play in the meadows. Um, oops. We have to, um, sorry, close my window by accident. Uh, we have to actually do our math and remember our math. We can't let this technology slip away. And to me, it seems like we're, uh, just because we have this doesn't mean that it, things are going to get inherently better. We're just giving ourselves a, um, a new responsibility and it's not, um, a responsibility that makes everyone's life better, but it's not one that we can just, you know, sit back and this isn't going to make everything better. I think we can sit back though, because the people themselves will revolt. If, like it's one thing oh. for people to be stealing from an oil field, right? Because like the rebels and stuff in Colombia and Venezuela, they just tap into an oil pipeline and they steal the oil, right? Mm-hmm. To have a nuclear reactor facility manage its own electricity in the country, if it gets mismanaged the people can revolt themselves. Like once mm-hmm. it's built, they can fix their own government because it's there and working. It's, it's not a commodity that people can steal and capture and run away with. Right. It's electricity. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about more about us because we, in our society, we have a tendency to have this new technology that we have, like even something like a car and it becomes this magical thing that, you know, I don't need. I just have the energy. I don't care how it works. But mm, no, we have to like just be that doesn't mean we can just stop and sit down like this gives us the ability to do more with what we have not just sit at the beach uh and that's what i mean like factories would be encouraged if you had a reliable power plant like right now you can't have manufacturing in like uganda because only 80 percent of the population Mm -hmm. has power and there's rolling blackouts Mm -hmm. like the people of North Korea can't do anything because the government manages all of their means of production. That's the whole thing with the Marxism thing, where when you control the means of production, that's how you become a dictator. Mm-hmm. But like Congo is the same way, or DRC. Um, Sudan is the same way. Like all, all of the countries that have major dictatorial troubles, like Iraq did and Iran, it's all power related. It's all the Mm. people struggling to produce for themselves. But once you annihilate or alleviate that issue, like people's consumption, food supplies, construction materials, then they can reform on their own. Like you won't need to touch anything. And then you're saving money on on military and excursions and military practices. Like the U.S. military uses more oil than most countries, just their military. And now China's naval fleet is bigger than the U.S.'s. And they're exerting their dominance in the South China Sea. This is all to do with power. And I don't mean like political power. It's a lot of political power. But the political power is maintained by having a manufacturing economy. You have to Mm -hmm. produce goods to be valuable. Nobody wants your currency if you don't produce anything. What was it Elon Musk said? You have to actually make things. (laughs) Yeah, you have to actually make things. And when you have power, you can make things. That's that's what's so powerful about information is because with the internet, it's not just the fact that we're connected to each other like, ooh, we can all go on Facebook. We can send diagrams and manuals and reports and studies over the ocean in an instant and teach people how to build nuclear power plants. That's the power of the internet. 
The power of the internet is not piracy and video games and stuff. That's just a nice little bonus. But if we teach people how to maintain manufacturing implements and like power structures that actually generate wealth for the population, goods and services, those goods and services are going to make people take control of their own governments. Right now, they have no control because they rely on them today for food tomorrow. They can't revolt. So sending military excursions into other countries trying to like install puppet governments is never going to work as long as the people are suffering. It's just patently impossible. If people are suffering, they're going to go to the first person that offers them a gun and says, we'll pay for your food if you suicide bomb. We'll give your family a place to live. Right. So, well, that's kind of... Um... How do I say that? But this? who's going to agree to be a suicide bomber if they can go home and farm? No, I understand <laughs> that. It's I'm kind of trying to move on from this because um, the effect that nuclear power will have on, um, not on like third world countries, but on first world countries that all of a sudden have all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, like what are people that are already, like we have this population which is some almost too lazy from not making things. Uh, and you give them even more uh, reason to be lazy, but maybe this like will give them something new to do. But uh, that might be a subtle con, but I don't think it's enough to not do it. In fact, I think that might even be a reason to do it more to see, you know, here's something new, figure that out here. Here's a problem that you can actually solve, do something about it. Um, I firmly believe that boredom spawns invention. People get bored, yeah. minds wander, and they invent stuff that helps everybody. They break things, but... Um, and they break things. Well, when we're distracted a lot, and we think the internet is something, again, like you said, it's Facebook, and we, it's something that distracts us and gives us stuff, but it's like, get off Facebook, stop watching the, the, the cable news, and disconnect your cable entirely it's there's nothing on there <laughs> but, but for all the people who do that there will be people like you and me who make a an educational free youtube channel right so and that's what we should be encouraging not because we're the geniuses but when a genius does make a youtube channel it's something they couldn't have done if they were scraping by for food yeah well we put our heads together we make an almost genius i think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so two, two of us combined make one half genius let's i think one thing to um, maybe start to end on would be. Oh, we have, sorry, we have to go over the other risks too. Oh, okay, yeah, there's other risks. Oh, do tell. Yeah, cause... weaponization is only one risk. Okay, go, go. <laughs> tell me what else I have to worry about. <laughs> okay, the, the other things you have to worry about is waste, which we talked about because there will mm. be less of it. It's more compact and only lasts 400 years from these types of reactors versus the thermal reactors that we're currently using, which last hundreds of thousands of years. Right, but it's still That's the other thing. waste. There still is waste. Recycling the actinides, so the byproducts of the, the fuel from being consumed and absorbing neutrons as opposed to fission, they create the byproduct waste. So recycling them into further power plants, that means building a whole second power plant and operating a completely secondary power plant. That which sounds, sounds like simple, jobs. but like they're different. <laughs> they have sounds like more jobs than an entire new industry. Do go on. This is not sounding like a con so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's again, it's a high tech industry. So you can take people out of low tech, low skill jobs and put them into something they can be proud of that cleans up the environment. Third, when you've got um, this type of energy and power, the market's going to be shifted tremendously. And a huge number of people got enormously wealthy on energy. And we know that right down from Rockefeller 100 years ago to today with um, 
with with Shell and BP and all them. Every time a new industry is discovered, someone gets super rich. Yeah, which is and, why and that's that's a clear indication that either somebody has changed humanity's future for the better for eternity, mm -hmm. or somebody is extorting wealth from an entire population of people. Usually, right. they're extorting wealth from or embezzling wealth, I should say, from an entire population of people. Mm -hmm. so things like Venezuela and um, <clears throat> and Brazil and Europe, uh, all of Europe, like the issues they're having with the German pipeline, like uh, Nord Stream Two, between Russia and and Europe, uh, and Russia like holding ransom the power over Ukraine, so they can't fight crime uh, their borders on Crimea because you know they rely on heat in the winter from Russia. <laughs> Just all these little intricate details of politics become completely wiped clean when everybody has their own uh, fuel source. Mm -hmm. Because thorium itself is everywhere. So the mining operations in every other country that do any other types of mine, whether it's a gold mine, cobalt, or uh, aluminums, or tin, or whatever, just in the earth, there's thorium everywhere. And mm -hmm. you can extract that from mining processes you're already doing. Right now, they're just throwing it out as a waste. So if every country had their own access to their own stable, clean power and uh, energy, green energy became easy because everybody's on nuclear fuel, we don't need to spend as much on oil. Oil prices are going to rise, but the demand for oil is going to go way down. Now, that's a good thing for humanity, but the short term is going to hurt billionaires. That's and billionaires run our politicians. Con. But a long, like very short term con, which no one's really gonna feel bad about. <laughs> it's like you're a capitalist. No, you we this don't could feel happen. bad about it. But all the funding that goes into campaigning, like all of our political processes, mm. are gonna be completely flipped upside down once that money stops flowing from the same people. Oh like no! The Koch brothers and the Rothschilds <laughs> and all these conspiracies and everything. I'm having trouble. Suddenly, seeing they're gonna this. have no income. I'm having trouble seeing this as a con so far. Well, it's the disorder that's the con, because then right. you're basically throwing the entire world's political structure into disarray all at the same time. Okay. And, and they it may have sound power still to raise a fuss and get people to rabble, yeah, rabble, They're going to make noise. They're going to fight back with everything they got. And that means they're going to cause wars intentionally so that they spend oil, because machinery and oil costs or... Um, and war costs a lot of money. Well, you don't even need to do that. Like, look at what the oil industry, not the oil industry, but like the fear mongering that's happening um, just on both sides right now is causing people to act in ways that are extremely counterproductive. Like the whole Greta Thunberg thing on. is not helping. Um, like we need to destroy society. It's like, whoa, no, we need to think creatively yeah, <laughs> as a society. No, it's like, and like I went to the march here and they're saying we need to just, we need to, you know, burn it all down and then build the society that is good on the ashes that I'm like, no. And, um, why don't we use history the shows us that doesn't work. <laughs> right. Cause when Rome burned down, Guess what replaced it? Well, nothing for a thousand years. So um, that's a really long time. <laughs> yeah, the Dark Ages were that. Who knows? Different culture. No, this is not. We're not doing cultural relativism. It sucked to be in Europe after the fall of the Roman Empire, um, and or in France after the Revolution, or in Europe, or like any country in Europe after they they separated. So it's, it's going to be any transition is hard, but. This transition has a lot of uh, 
the pros are just those are good pros. <laughs> yeah, they really are. But like there are serious concerns that if we address them preemptively, they will be less of a concern. Mm-hmm. Like instead of having militaries depose governments and have the military leaderships like mm-hmm. the junta in Myanmar and junta. junta. <laughs> Yeah. Or like Venezuela had the same problem. And usually it's, or uh, Turkey was a good example. They're I'm co- really worried. So every about time Mexicans there's a coup d'etat, right it's always like, or Sisi with uh, Egypt, it's always yeah. the military that gets installed as government. We should, we should change that and make the university. I mean, yeah, they're a bureaucracy and they suck a lot of money out of the system, but they're run by the smartest people in your country. Like eventually that will sort itself out faster than the guys with guns and tanks. Play I promise you. <laughs> okay, Plato. It'll always be easier to fix a, an overly bureaucratic academic system who's overruling their their population than it will be just to get a military operation out of your government. I think, and that's something we can prevent. Yeah, uh, pre- I think well, I, I, from knowing a lot of um, some of the dumbest people I know, or some of the smartest people I know. <laughs> so um, let's move forward. Uh, do you have any other cons? Yes, there are other oh, cons. Sorry. Okay, let's let's hear. <laughs> I want to hear some technological drawbacks. Okay, technologically, then we'll we'll get into um, the byproducts of uh, of the reactors like cesium. You get a mm-hmm. lot more of it, but again, it's it's concentrated in smaller amounts, and it's got a, a less lengthy half life. So it's not really isn't cesium useful though. It's not. I don't think okay. it could be. I don't think so, though. This is it. That's see to me. That is a. um, It's kind of that old capitalist thing. You have a question. That means is spot for innovation there, and Mm -hmm. so like we've got cesium. What do we do with it? I don't know. That sounds like it's a place that you could innovate. Find a use for it. Yeah. Yeah. Find a use for it. You have this thing. What can we do with it? I don't know. Well, put some thought into it. Get creative. you are living in a free country where you can do that. In fact, you can get grants to do that. So, um, see our grants episode. Yes. Anyway, anyway. Um, so there is that. The The last con that I'd say then is that the, um, the technicality of it. So right now we have like PhD programs that last like seven years in post-secondary school, basically Mm -hmm. to have a bunch of people all over the world have PhDs would require a huge swing into education and funding and education just to maintain and operate these things. (laughs) We'd have to educate people like, Oh no, but like that's fixed by free school and free school is fixed by having power that's owned by the government and power owned by the government means your fields are irrigated and you don't need to import every time you have a drought, right. you, you know, climate change isn't destroying all of your shorelines. And so like there are costs, but they're way overweighed by all of the benefits. Yeah, I think, and if I think you want to be on the right side of history, but at the same time, like raise enrollment numbers, like just have more people, like ooh, more people in classes. It's like, you'll 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 figure it out like you're supposed to be there to learn you don't need the ear like all the stuff's there the the professor's there to just guide you you're not there to you know download his brain yeah Um, in canada it's easy to say but for people struggling to eat tomorrow it's really hard to say you got to study for nine years even if it's free like well there's a business opportunity there's a business opportunity here and i keep thinking like capitalistically but i keep seeing the opportunities here um if you have a PhD in nuclear physics, you can go to another country 
and teach people there. And be very well paid for it. Like they'll be, yeah. afford, they'll be able to afford three times your salary. And they will welcome you because they want that. If you go to, if you see like India, um, they are like, they're desperate for education because they know that that's how to get people off of, you know, dung burning into, you know, actual jobs. But this is, no. It's, well, they it's reinforce a, the caste system and say certain people can't go to school or like yeah. arranged marriages. You have to drop out and you're a woman. You're not allowed to work. Like all that BS needs to yeah. get fixed. Yeah. Those are and, impediments to progress. And we already knew that, but like trying to set this system up around the world would require that all of these women in, in Iran who are well-educated get jobs. Mm-hmm. And but we'll again, that hasn't happened because we stopped them. Because we were so scared of weapons, we prevented people from progressing. But it's not like, helpful. Yeah, it's so more education, more innovation. And it's a time um, thing. It will take time. It takes a long time to build a reactor. Mm-hmm. And even if fusion works, it's going to take 25 years instead of 15, 20 years to build every fusion reactor. And if they're mm-hmm. not as productive as, as fission reactors, they may not have waste, but because they don't have waste, they don't produce as much energy. Okay. So, like, there will always be reason to use a thorium molten salt or molten lead or molten metal reactor or whatever. That power generation potential is always there, so we should use it. But the thing is, we need to plan 20 years ahead instead of five or six. We so- need to say we're going to give them food and we're going to give them nuclear power for the next 20 years until their power generation starts. And then if it fails or they screw up, you help them. You make sure they don't fail so that it works because that's what helps humanity. That's what will stop war. That's what will stop all this wasted expense and stop climate change. And it'll stop like yeah, well, most of nuclear our problems. power more than like the power of nuclear energy, both good and bad, really has shown us how much we're kind of all in this together. Like mm-hmm. you can detonate a, if you, if you detonate a nuclear bomb in the city, it's going to affect your allies who are in the next door. So one thing, uh, before we round up, unless you have any more cons. Nope. That was, it. uh, one thing I want to do is, uh, I think it might be fun to do a bit of science fiction. Shoot. Uh, um, where can this go? So my thought is, um, once it gets easy, you can, you know, miniaturize and you can start plugging them in, make them portable even, or you can have, um, I don't know, what could we do with technology if we use a bit of imagination on this? If we take it past what is, what we know can happen to what we think may happen. Because science fiction kind of does a bit of things where it's like, what if we did this with that? And then people work towards it and see if it's feasible or not. And like, he's look at something like Star Trek. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, they thought about a bunch of crazy stuff. They tried all of them in science and now we have cell phones and, you know, okay. FaceTime If stuff. you want to set up a base on Mars or the moon and they got mm-hmm. water on there, you can use electrolysis to separate hydrogen and oxygen. You need oxygen and you can use power with hydrogen. Mm-hmm. Like blanket benefit right there. You've got power and breathing air on the moon, (laughs) (laughs) but it takes energy to do that. 
And if there's thorium plentiful in the dirt and, and Mars and the moon, just like there is on Earth, you don't need to find the right site and like have an off-site mining facility. You can just do it right under your feet as you're digging your dome mm-hmm. to start produce or extracting thorium and uranium and making nuclear reactors. Well, and you could use that power from the nuclear reactors to build fuel for your vehicles and air. You could have it show up preemptively too. You could just build the reactor, throw it into space, and yeah. then have it land, you know, with engineering. And then you'll just be like right there. And then you walk up, you know, you land on Mars. You're like, wow, I'm on Mars. Holy crap. And then you walk over to the reactor, you inflate your little habitat, and then you press the bo- on button on the reactor and it goes chug, 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 chug. Yeah. And then you're And set. because they're small, because they're not pressurized water, like the, the old reactors that we've been using, you can yeah. do that. You can build a modular reactor that, like I said, is 75 feet tall, 15 feet wide, shoot it off into space and have it ready for the Martian landers when they mm-hmm. get there, right? And then once you have a system like that, don't forget, this thing creates power by heating up water. So you have heat. It's mm. really cold on the moon or on the dark side when the sun's not shining, right? Yeah, you well, Mars anyway. needs heat <laughs> yeah. too. Like if you want to start terraforming Mars, you almost don't want an efficient reactor over there. You want yeah, it to exactly. be pouring heat into the atmosphere there and, and creating more of an atmosphere. Um, so like this is this is kind of, this is good because this is kind it of also, what we want to be doing with this. We yeah, want, it'll we don't also want to be just thinking like how can fertile- this affect us now. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, go on. No, sorry, it's just a lag on the thing. Oh, sorry, I'm talking really No, fast. No, not you. I was, it was <laughs> lagging on the connection. That's why I was interrupting. Um, okay. You can extract from the soils. So you mm-hmm. can use energy to, to, to pump phosphorus and minerals and nitrogen and stuff out of soils so that you can grow things indoors in your hydroponic systems. You can How use about, it for propulsion if you have an ion drive. There you go. What about um, like emergency... Because my thought is, um, if you can make these things portable, and there's like a, a natural disaster, you can just almost it'll, it'll be cumbersome, but you can still drive it up, or at least you know bring it up so you can like all the components and make it modular. Mm. You bring it into like say there's a, a tsunami or something, and they're out of power, and you just drive it to that place, and then they have power and then you can start that to help that's the, the sort of relief. thing that oil is good for though because mm-hmm. oil is like i need it now i put it in i light it on fire and i instantly get energy okay so when you're getting a sustained chain reaction of nuclear fission you got first of all that 30-day waiting period between your thorium turning into uranium 233 and then you've got to let it sit there in a chamber and have uh, a consistent reaction that doesn't blow out of control. So you're constantly moderating how, what the heat is, the levels of the molten salts. Like there is a process to mm-hmm. it. So if you have a car that's moving around and sloshing everything around, it's not going to move right. as well, right? So it's so, not really meant for uh, active vehicles. Yeah, because my but you thought can is store energy in batteries or in water reservoirs. You can use the energy when you don't need it to pump water up to a top reservoir. And then you can use the gravity and, and weight of the water to, to push a generator when you need it. Mm. So there are ways of naturally storing energy just from potential energy being converted into kinetic energy just by using water again. Right. So wherever there is a need to change, uh, essentially like uh, add energy to something, this will be helpful. Um, yeah. 
in a way. So, uh, so like, production, like, synthesis, manufacturing, research, air, water, our, our poo and pee removal, like cleaning our body waste takes energy. Mm. All of that stuff, like pumping clean yeah. water into a house takes energy. Cooling Gee. that water takes energy. Yeah. It's not just cold out of the tap just because they have to cool it. Yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking about modularity because like you can, you can make this as efficient as possible. Like if like you take one part out for repairs and you just plug another part in and yeah. instead of just like, Oh, we have to dismantle the entire thing and it's a building and it works just the same. It's like, well, you just take out that, you turn it off, take that out, just plug another one in and you just turn it on again. See and more likely fix- with the modularity is they'll run it off of other modules and they'll mm-hmm. take it out while the other modules are running. They won't even yeah. stop it. They don't turn it off or anything. You just mm-hmm. plug in a new module while they're all running, reconnect it, wait for it to boot up and heat up. And then once it's ready to start contributing to the whole system, then it starts contributing to the steam production. Okay. It's really, again, that's all it's doing is it's heating up in this one little thing, like as one vat or a vessel. And there's a pipe with water in it that goes into the vessel. So the water doesn't transfer from one side to the other, but mm-hmm. the heat of the vessel heats the pipe, which heats the water. The water goes into a completely disconnected turbine somewhere else. So there can be as many modules as you want plugged into the same pipe mm-hmm. that wraps around and that's what that's the heat exchanger part so the primary heat exchanger is just taking heat from the core putting it into a pipe into water and that water is in a separate generator and that right. steam spins a generator and all that is is a copper coil that spins and when you spin a copper copper coil it pushes electrons that's right that's current so i just keep thinking that we're, we're living in a time where we already we can have this and if we just put in modern computer technology to you know, uh, what we have, like 1951, we could have built this, right? They, and they just the wanted to make weapons instead. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think we're coming up on the end. So, um, I want to end it off with a bit of a call to action as much as I hate when people use that phrase. Um, now for me, it's, this isn't something to be afraid of. You have, um, radioactive material in uh your fire alarm there's we use radioactive material all the time you can buy it at canadian tire um it's not much uh we use tritium to have like you know things illuminate in the dark and stuff like that um these things aren't uh they're not you know esoteric these are completely mundane things um it's just on a bigger scale and if we screw up it's thing but don't be afraid of it is kind of my thought. So what would you say, uh, you know, civilians can do moving forward? Well, if you're scared of radiation, don't go on a beach in Brazil because you'll get more radiation on a beach in Brazil than you do at Chernobyl. Yeah. Or, well, it was the one thing that uh, Three Mile Island <laughs> produced less radiation than your um, standard x-ray. Yeah. Like, and so and like my biggest a- thing is that people keep shit like that into context. Like, when we talk about relative risk, the word relative isn't there just to make us sound smart. It means that it's it's a risk compared to this. Yeah. And if everybody keeps context in key, like nuclear waste in a barrel compared to that much tonnage spread out volume-wise into the atmosphere, Breathing just in consider lungs. the difference. And as long as we're not dumb about the waste... It'll take us thousands of years to amass enough waste to need to like even carve out a single mountain. 
And that gives us enough time to figure that out. Like we could probably figure that in a couple of, de- in a couple yeah. of decades. And in the meantime, no more climate change. Like <laughs> we fixed a problem while we're waiting to fix another problem. And that's how progress works. Every yeah. time we discover something, it causes new problems, but it fixes a bunch of older ones. Well, that's like kind of what, that's <laughs> kind of like what Friedrich Hayek was arguing about. It's like, you can't just focus on one thing. And you know, yeah. we need to fix we need to fix the social system before we fix uh you know this or that. And it's just like technological advancement will help the social situation. And um but we, what we need to stop do- trying to own information though. Like you can't yeah. do any of this if people want patents and ownership. You just can't do it. So one of the things I think is that people can do is they can actually educate themselves and not like learn the science and you know you don't have to do become a nuclear physicist but there is there are resources out there that can help you get educated enough to understand what people are talking about and even maybe even get a bit ahead of that and if you want to do the math go ahead um we're rich enough as a society that you have the time to do it so why not try it but at the same time the elections happen all the time and uh elections happen all the time and you can ask when you know they come to your door and be like hey what do you think about this and you can ask them you know what do you like i'm what's your stance on uh you know the new on fission reactors what would you do if it came up in parliament and you ask them that straight to their face you can literally walk in during an election to your uh can't all the candidates offices and just sit down and be like i have questions and you can ask that. And the more of these questions is asked, the more of an issue it becomes and the more uh, people will be talking about it. And um, resistance and, um, I guess, fear-based behavior will give you a sense of where you can put your vote. So that's my thought. And you can also, you know, write into your local congressman yeah, write or MP. Them. Write yeah. letters. It may be um, annoying and tedious, but really, it takes 15 minutes to jot down a letter, five minutes to put it in an envelope, five minutes to get a, a stamp. Yeah, like, just you can do it. If they get a thousand letters saying, we want nuclear power, stop saying, not in my backyard. Say, yes, in my backyard. Because it's safe and it's better than any other form of energy production. You're saving the planet by being the person self-sacrificing to have a plant in your backyard. Right. Just do it. And you get a better and bigger backyard from having that in it yeah so <laughs> then you keep an open field because they got that containment zone all around it that's right yeah <laughs> everyone else will be overbuilt and you'll have room yeah so but yeah um, don't be afraid of it and if it costs you a little bit of money like your your home price value or whatever like think of what you're doing for the world reducing war and carbon emissions and producing potential for all of these people who are suffering needlessly yeah because desperate I, people act stupidly and starving people act dumbly i know yeah. because when i was paying for school i was on two <laughs> meals a day and i remember how dumb i was <laughs> yeah i was national security so angry. Thing, don't be worried about a centrifuge the lack of centrifuges will cause more war than a centrifuge nobody's itching to use nuclear weapons because they know they'll be used right back on them right like it's it's a death sentence to drop a nuke Mm-hmm. And blacklisting a country only makes them more of an enemy. <laughs> yeah, and you're only hurting the people. You're not hurting the government because they control all the means of production. They're the ones that aren't lacking. Everyone else is lacking. So when you mm-hmm. sanction a government or a people because of a government's action, you're not helping your own case to prevent war or terrorism. You're causing it. You're you're creating desperation that leads to, to war and terrorism. So even if you're just self-interested in your own security, you should be helping other people 
for the for that reason alone, even if okay. it's selfish. So I think this was a this is a good episode. I was wanting um, for a couple of weeks. I've been wanting a uh, a very positive episode, and I think um, nailed this it. One, nailed it. So here's a positive message. I think our uh, cannabis one was pretty positive too, but that was more very pre- prescriptive. But yeah, it was so think, dope. <laughs> nice. So um, thank you uh, for watching and getting to the end of Frivolous Gravitas. Um, I uh, hope to see you guys around. Um, leave Any comments. idea what we're working on next? I don't know. Um, surprise? Surprise. We'll surprise you. We'll do something. <laughs> might just something might come up, and we'll talk about it. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll surprise you next week. Cool so, beans. Um, yeah, we'll see you. Take care. Thanks for watching. <laughs>